0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fossa podcast. We're the Fossa engineering team, and we're here to discuss life at an early stage startup through an engineering lens. I'm joined today with three members of our sales team, Alex, Max, and Deepak. So why don't you guys start and tell us a little bit about yourselves and how long you've been at FOSA. Uh
1: I'll go first since my name is first. I'm Alex. Let's see, I joined Fossa almost four years ago and, yeah, I have been here and the, the entire time working as an enterprise account executive, recently moved into a role as our um, regional sales manager for the United States West Coast region. And yeah, it's been a fun ride. I've gotten to be here from like the early stages up until now where we're really, you know, growing fast and, and working with some amazing customers that we're very excited about. And so got to kind of see it all. And yeah, I'll get over to Deepak.
2: Thank you, Alex. Yeah, I think um, I, Alex, and Max, we started our journey almost around the same time. So it's been a fantastic four years. I had the sales engineering team at FOSA, like as Alex said, and I'm sure Max will echo, but it's been fantastic four years. Just to see the journey from how open source has been uh, become a critical component in the software supply chain, uh, especially in the past couple of years, and then just being at the forefront of it and helping clients basically adopt and embrace open source in a responsible manner has been pretty fascinating. Max, over to you. Yep. Uh, Max
3: McCone. I've been with Fossa for four years uh, in the enterprise account executive role. I, For my first three years, I was working and living in San Francisco, covering the West Coast. And a year ago, yesterday, March 12th, I moved to New York City, and currently live in Manhattan and am the regional sales manager for the East Coast. So it's been a great journey, uh, had the opportunity to work with a lot of great customers and excited for what's ahead.
0: Great. That's awesome to hear. All of you guys are fossa veterans at this point. I guess we'll dive right into things. You guys talk to close to as many customers as I do, and that gives you a lot of really cool insight. Can you... Yeah. Clue me in on a lot of the problems that our customers are trying to solve.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we talk to customers of all different sizes across every industry. We're a lean but mighty team. And so that gives us visibility into a lot of different challenges that they face. But there are consistent challenges that companies face across every industry, no matter their size. A lot of companies are using just a significant amount of open source these days, a lot more than, let's say, five or 10 years ago, and they really need to be able to kind of like wrap their heads around exactly how much is in their code ecosystem so that they can understand the risk from a license compliance as well as a security perspective in order to just manage that and enable their their engineers to be able to have the freedom to code and innovate and move quickly. And so that's really like where we come into play is to be able to help them with that. Um, but yeah, as far as the challenges go, you know, we're starting to see a lot more urgency around this than we were say, even four years ago when the four, the three of us started our journey at FASA, because of federal requirements that have come out in the last couple of years Uh, around needing to have SBOMs if you're doing business with the federal government, and then just generally implementing the best practice across their engineering teams around, you know, publishing um, attribution notices and uh, kind of staying on top of compliance, understanding what vulnerabilities are there. We obviously see so many more Vulnerabilities, kind of entering the entering code environments and data breaches that, uh, cause liabilities for companies. And so their legal, their security teams and their engineering teams are all really wanting to stay on top of this and just have that, the ability to address this quickly and, um, at scale. And I'll kick it over to you, Deepak.
2: No, no worries. Yeah. I mean, just to echo, right. Uh, uh, Again, uh, just over my my duration at FOSA, one of the things that I find fascinating is the awareness that has happened in this space. When we started, right, uh, we were still talking to companies that was doing this as an ad hoc process uh, using pretty legacy tools. Uh, what is what I've seen changes like uh, in the past couple of years, right? Especially with some of the incidents that have happened. Obviously, the the executive order from the U.S. government, but some of the uh, issues that we've seen with regards to log4j, uh, solar winds, other issues, right? Like, you know, opens what this confirms is that open source is a critical component of software supply chain. Gone are the days where uh, you could just basically, like, you know, I mean, there was a time when companies, like some of the customers that we talked to, are like, you know, at, at a very early stage in their journey in terms of like just trying to get their handle on what open source they're using. Risk management and all comes in very, very secondary. So lately, like this year and last year, what you have seen is a significant shift. Like Companies are realizing that open source is a critical component of their supply chain. Protecting it, safeguarding it is very, very critical. And some of the conversations we are having is like, you know, how can we uh, do it better? How can we help them shift left this narrative? And as Alex mentioned, right, how can we do it? Uh, how can we help manage and provide visibility uh, both in terms of what they're using and, and uh, highlight any risk at scale? So... Pretty incredible, and I think this is just the beginning. We will see more and more companies basically uh, really pay significant attention to their open-source strategy. Max, I don't know if you have any additional topics, uh, insights to share.
3: Definitely. One of the things that I have really recognized and uh, enjoyed working uh, with different customers on is the use cases uh, for managing open-source more efficiently you know, is similar and different across all the different personas. You have, you know, legal folks that are really worried around license compliance, you know, trying to create an open source policy uh, or even enforce their open source policy in a more streamlined and automated way. You have security and AppSec teams that are, of course, focused on zeroing in on critical vulnerabilities and prioritizing remediation and making that process easier. Uh, And what's clear to me is that whether it's a security persona or a, a legal persona, everyone is really trying to create the best experience possible for their developers who are using open source and have to use open source to do their jobs and how can they... Properly manage license compliance and vulnerability risk in a way that's uh, not interrupting their developers speed and day to day workflow, um, but actually enables their developers to use open source responsibly and do so so that they can you know, meet their OKRs as quick as possible.
0: So all three of you mentioned a few different stakeholders that we commonly think of when we're talking about open source technology. We have legal, we have engineering, and we have... Security. Security. Thank you. Uh, What should each of these stakeholders be thinking about when looking at SBOMs, which also you guys mentioned, that's a software bill of materials for those who have never even heard the term SBOM before. What should these different personas be thinking about as they're looking for a tool that can help them generate SBOMs?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I I can start, right? Like, you know, from a legal team primarily, right, they, they care about from a licensing point of view. In our SBOM, first and foremost is an identification. Do we, are we keeping track of all the open source that we're using? The second thing is, are we in compliance with those open source license requirements, right, you know? Just because it is open source doesn't mean you can use it anyhow you want, right? There are certain obligations uh, as uh, defined by the open source uh, license that is being used. So the legal team's primary concern is we're this software whether in a hosted manner or as a binary, right? Are we basically complying to all those obligations, Uh, number one, right? From a security team perspective, right, and this also partly falls down to the engineering uh, bucket as well Is that, you know, if you, I mean, I'll I'll use my analogy. Like, you know, traditionally you had your net, like, you know, when everything was running in a data center, you protect your network, you are good. Then with the advent of cloud technologies, you basically protected the endpoints and you're good. Now with open source becoming a crucial element of your software supply chain, you have like, you know, 90% of your code, which is open source, which is visible to the entire world. And not just the code is visible, but like you know, if there are any issues with that particular open source um, component that is also visible to the entire world, right? So the security team are much more pressed. Uh, a like if there are new issues that are surfaced, very, how do we identify those issues quickly and how do we resolve and remediate those issues very, very quickly right? So the of like the legal team is more from a compli- license compliance point of view. the security team is more focused on if there are issues that are resolved, like critical vulnerabilities, um, day 0 vulnerabilities how do we identify that and how do we remediate that very quickly? Finally, the engineering team is basically the uh, the consumer, so to speak, or basically the partner for the engineering team, for the legal and the security team, right? Any issues that are identified in any of these open source compa- components, be it license issues or security issues, they have to work very closely with these teams to, to resolve and remediate these issues in a timely manner.
3: I think adding on top of that, uh, one of the things that is common for a lot of customers. Maybe they don't have an SBOM at all and they're doing this for the first time. We have uh, a lot of customers that reach out to us and they need to produce an SBOM for one reason or another. Maybe it's an acquisition, maybe it's an IPO, uh, maybe it's for a fundraising round, or maybe it's for efforts to comply with the executive order. And I think a lot of the times the conversation that we have is, hey, let's integrate a solution that allows you to always be able to pull an S-bomb when you need it rather than do a one-time scan or fire drill to get this S-bomb in a certain amount of time. And so a lot of that is really focused on shifting left and integrating as part of the development lifecycle so that as new open source is introduced as new products are developed, you'll always be able to have the most up-to-date snapshot of your open source usage and licenses. And then you can pull that S-bomb when you need it.
1: Yeah. To to add to that too. I mean, it's, It's becoming more and more common that when you're trying to win work, like when our customers are trying to close contracts with their customers, their customers are requiring them to include a software bill of materials as part of that effort. And so, you know, historically, that may have only been every once in a blue moon, and they could kind of get away with doing those one-time scans at a single point in time and providing that information they're starting to see it for more and more customers. So they need to be able to pull that on demand and do it really easily. And then also some of those customers are even requiring like quarterly or, you know, biannual updates on that or semi-annual. <laughs> I always screw those two up. But anyway, so there's that piece. And then the fact that those one-time audits can be extremely painful, especially like, you know, you're asking your engineering team to just drop everything and go through the exercise to probably do this through a mixture of tools and spreadsheets, and it's highly manual. And then, you know, it's not really like there's no standardized process around it. And so the nice thing about doing like a one-time installation and then having it that continuous visibility is that that initial, the thought goes into, okay, how how do we want to handle this systematically? And then the engineering team is asked to simply install, let's say, a tool like Vasa. And then once that installation is done, it can just run continuously. And they can the, the legal team then has the access to be able to pull that software bill of materials or even procurement, you know, or the sales team or whoever is doing that, um, whoever has to respond to that request, has that on-demand access and doesn't have to interrupt their development team to get that and, you know, put development activities on hold. I really
0: like that word you use there continuously. I think in this world of software development we have today with continuous delivery, continuous integration, there's such a need for continuous visibility into open source components as well. When companies are starting to approach uh, SCA tooling, that's software composition analysis, are there, do you see a difference in What seasoned customers are looking for in a tool versus what new customers who are approaching this for the first time are
1: looking for? I'll say that oftentimes, new customers approaching it for the first time may not even have a policy. So, that's often one of the first things that they come to us for is to ask, like, we need to wrap our heads around this. You know, we understand that we want to get to a state where. Like we have the vision for the future, but there's this big gap in the middle and we need to be able to develop the policy first and then think about how what the process is going to be. So that's often what companies that are doing this for the very first time are focused on. And then those that have had experience with it tend to be looking for um, more efficient tooling and a partner that really understands their
2: needs. Yeah, and to add to that, right, I think uh, from a legacy point of view, right, like, you know, traditionally, if you look at uh, software release cycle, right, like, you know, you probably needed to do this process once or twice a year. But now with the uh, increase in the release cycles, uh, you know, like there are companies that want to basically pretty much do it on every commit or pretty much on a routine basis, right? Uh, so that's one, one driving factor. Like, you know, how do we make this easy um, and how do we make it uh, continuous? But second thing is, the accuracy of information, right? Like, you know, if I was doing this once or twice, like, you know, if I have the data quality is not good, where I need to do a bunch of manual works in terms of, you know, correcting some of the data and all, they were okay with doing this because, you know, I just need to do it once. But now when I'm basically running the scans on a daily basis, my team is introducing new open source on a daily basis, how much time my engineering team spends, how much time my legal team is spending, how much time my security team is spending in vetting out what is like, a false positive or basically bad quality data, it suddenly becomes very, very important, right? So the legacy customer, right, traditionally uh, with the processes that they had, it becomes too much effort where, you know, there's a lot of correction that is needed on the tool, right? So I think they are looking for two aspects. One is like, hey, I want to make it continuous, but I want a higher degree of accuracy as well.
3: That's a really good point, Deepak. And, Uh, A lot of times in conversations with customers who have never purchased an SCA tool before, they've been doing open source management manually. They usually always have a process where if I'm a developer and I want to introduce uh, some new open source component, I need to fill out a form. And that request goes to legal for license review and security for security review and there's this back and forth about what's okay and what's not okay. And that just seems uh, as someone who's not a developer imagining having to do that every day or go through that process, that seems really painful. It seems really annoying. Why do I have to talk to legal? You know, if I want to use this, this JS dom component in my, in my project and we hear from customers that they want to streamline and automate that process to make it a lot less painful for engineers and a lot easier for everyone that's involved and so i enjoy having those types of conversations because i know uh that we can you know make a lot of people happy and make people's lives easier in a day-to-day another Uh, area, even for customers that have purchased an SCA tool, and this piggybacks off what Deepak said, is, you know, getting the most accurate information to the developers about issues. And there is risk of showing developers false issues or issues without enough context for them to act upon it. And the danger there is, you can have a tool, but you have a hard time getting the adoption of that tool that you need to make it successful. And so for customers who do have existing tools in place, a lot of the pain points that we hear can often be tied to accuracy of information, ability to get things integrated properly so that it's you know very easy for developers to take remediation steps, and you have the coverage that you need.
2: Alex, do you also want to talk about like the, the need for generating reports, fulfilling obligations, and how easy it is to generate the report?
1: Yeah, I think it's it, when you have to generate that report manually, there's, you know, well, oftentimes what we see is when they have a manual process, it's because they're not doing it very often. And so that, you know, any process that you're not doing regularly, you kind of have to refamiliarize yourself. And then maybe you format it differently, or there's, there are, there's like human error that goes into pulling that together. And then maybe the people have changed since the last time that you did this process. So they're doing it now for the first time. And so, whenever all, there's all this manual kind of like human intervention involved in just setting up the report itself, like designing it, formatting the columns, making sure all the information is accurate, all that, yeah, you run into potential for you know, one, it's it's a lot of time wasted, and it's painful. And then two, you know, there's the potential for error. And as Deepak and Max both mentioned, accuracy issues. So if you're somebody that has to generate reports regularly, whether it be for any of the events that we talked about, you know, a, a fundraising event, um, an IPO acquisition, you know, you're winning a contract and you need to produce a software bill of materials, or you just regularly refresh and update your attribution notices, for instance, any of these types of reports, if you can just kind of like have an automatic process in place to update that, that you've only had to go through that exercise once to think about, it just makes it so much, much easier. And it's, you know, some of our customers will set it up as like, they give access to an internal tool to go click that, button and download it themselves and then others will just have it automatically like updated on an external facing web page so that nobody even really has to think about it they're just the only time a, a human necessarily has to get involved is to do any sort of remediation if an issue gets flagged but is that where you were going with your question deepak or
2: yeah i mean if you take a look at the the just focusing on the compliance side of the house right like you know there is obviously how do we make it a continued process Then the second thing is, what tools, what framework do we provide to help the teams resolve these issues very quickly? Like, what is the problem? Uh, Like, you know, if it's a license compliance issue, then, you know, is it uh, a license that we cannot use or is it a license that we can use conditionally? Like, you know, once you go through that process where you basically have a visibility across all the open source, you're basically taking care of all the violating licenses, finally, you still have to generate a report. That process traditionally has been a very manual process. Somebody from the engineering team is tasked to generate these reports. And then these reports are not just like, okay, I can just take my dependencies and I list it, Right? There are a certain set of obligations you need to fulfill. Uh, you need to include some, some licenses mandate. You need to include the, the corporate headers. You need to include the author information. In some cases, you need to provide the, the source for those packages. Right? Uh, this process by itself is also very, very tedious. And even in that, like, so you may have the process automated, but the report generation process is still manual. So that's another area where we've seen customers, like, you know, where because of the executive order or because it's delaying their release cycle or delaying their business transactions, right? It's it's, a, it's an area that they're trying to automate and move much faster. So that's us. Nice. So let's
0: say a... In- a hypothetical situation, a customer has picked out their SCA tool, their solution that they're going to work with. They've worked with the sales team to make sure they're going to be a good fit. It has the features they're looking for. What are things that the customer can do to smoothen this process out and make software composition analysis work for them, regardless of the solution they're using?
3: I think the what jumps out to me right away is focusing on... Creating a really solid execution plan or implementation plan to get from okay, we've chosen this tool, we've done an evaluation. How are we going to actually roll out this solution at scale and you know increase or you know get time to value in a in as quick a quick a manner as possible? And a lot of that really comes down to planning and even you know during an evaluation, period, uh, putting together an implementation game plan and validating that with your partner, because you're going to be working with that partner to roll out this solution and be dependent upon them to, you know, get the integrations working, get your priority projects scanned, get the policies configured, get the reports in the formats that you need, and then also start thinking about hey, what sort of training do we need to include for our developers? What sort of documentation do we need to compile for an internal wiki so that our developers can access that and understand how to run the scans? All of those things uh, become really important in the early stages of rolling out this solution. So getting ahead of the curve on thinking about those things are going to really go a long way in making your open source program work and work quickly.
1: Yeah, and I will say, I think where this kind of echoes what you already said, Max, but I know that the customers that I've seen do this the most smoothly have done a really great job of not operating in a vacuum and assuming that if I buy this tool, I'm just gonna get a developer to install it and then boom, I'll get what I need. And they they've really just take a minute to pause and think through Okay, who do I need to work with to make sure that this is successful at my within my own company, you know, and that's traditionally the stakeholders that we've mentioned. You wanna even if you're not moving forward with let's say you're only doing license compliance and not vulnerability management, still involving your AppSec team and the leaders on the security side to just make sure that they know that this is happening and, and they have their opportunity to provide their input, you know or working with your engineering needs to plan for this and get their buy-in. So you really want to develop relationships, and buy-in across the various areas where that this touches versus assuming you can just kind of like throw it in, set it up and start working. It, it can work that way, but it doesn't go as smoothly when you do that because then you get resistance from your peers. And so there's a real opportunity to get other folks on board, and then it will just go so much more smoothly. It'll be very harmonious. Everyone will see this as how you're helping them versus getting in their way. So I definitely think that the the most successful teams that we've worked with have taken the time to just kind of t- take a step back and inform, educate, involve, and, and pull their peers into the cycle. And we don't necessarily expect that they waste their time either. These are we want to be productive with everybody's time, but that is an important use of of productive time.
0: So part of that you guys mentioned is an evaluation period. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What should companies expect uh, during an evaluation period with an SCA tool? How can they make that be as successful for both the partner and their own company as well?
1: I can take that one again (laughs) to... Uh, expand upon what I kind of was just talking about is I actually think a lot of them expect when they walk into an evaluation period to maybe just kind of like get a quick free trial, get their hands dirty, and then make a decision. And we've learned that it's really important to give like a very involved like we we provide kind of a coaching throughout that process around how to approach the evaluation. And make sure that you're dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's because that's going to make you successful after you make a purchase decision, whether you choose to go with FASA or another solution, at least that you know, like, what did I need to test? Why am I doing this? And so we walk them through what's called a value assessment and outline the reasons why this is necessary and what you're going to solve and what kind of ROI that's going to produce for you and then identify Okay, if you know, assuming that you do implement this tool, what does that look like? What are the measures of success? And then we actually test those, we we define them in writing, measure and test those measures of success during a POC period, map out a timeline. What is it? You know, you have to set expectations for what this will look like, especially if you're involving multi-stakeholders, you have to be cognizant of their time and what other activities they have going on. And so kind of getting all your ducks in a row around the overall picture of everything involved. And then oftentimes if you've never purchased a solution before, you know, there's a lot that you don't necessarily know about the procurement process within an organization too. So thankfully that we do that every day. So we have that visibility into it and can say, okay, you know, have you thought about, you know, the vendor onboarding process and what what should we expect there? Do we know how much time it takes and kind of work backwards from when you want that solution installed to give you that complete like end-to-end project plan, essentially. So we take off our sales hat and put our project manager hat and help them through that process. You know, I don't think that people necessarily expect that going in, even though maybe they kind of assume like the steps that they will take will be sufficient. But oftentimes, when you're making a decision around, you know, a big investment like this, it might be, it's it's very important to understand all the factors in play and line yourself up for success once you move to the onboarding phase.
2: No, I, I one thing I must call out, right, like, you know, both Alex, Max, and my, um, the uh, other other members of the sales team, one thing that we do very well is the, the discovery process, right? Understanding, like, once we have an interest from a, from a prospect, like looking at a open source management tool, uh, we want to understand, like, you know, what is their motivation? What are they looking to solve? Where they want to be? And I think uh, the transparency is key, right? Like, you know, if you're able to solve the problem, you're very uh, distinct. Like, or, or rather, if you're not able to solve the problem, if their use case is not not ancillary to what we do, we're very apparent. Like, um, both, I think, Max and Alex do a phenomenal job over there. Uh, so I think that is the core thing, right? Like, you know, knowing very earlier in the process, like, you know, are your goals aligned to ours, right? Because it's not a transaction that we're looking at, it's a multi-relationship that we're looking at, right? So making sure that we understand what their goals are, what they plan to do, and then ensuring that, you know, they may have a certain workflow or or process in mind. And if there's a better way, or if, if there's a different way to do things, right, uh, talking it, uh, talking about that very early on in the process, I think has helped us basically earn that trust, right? Like, you know, and I think that's 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 critical. Like, um, I think I've been part of, uh, I've frontline seat with both Alex and Max, where we've gone through this journey, right? Like, you know, in some cases we've told no to the customers, right? Because they insisted on a certain way of doing things, which we think was probably a little bit counterintuitive and like, or maybe it just didn't align very well with our workflow and we said like, you know, if this is what you want to do, there may be a like, I mean, this is different from how we do it, how we recommend our customers to do it to get the best um, value put in a best in class process. And, um, like, you know, I mean, we can go ahead with the process, but it's better at this point right now. Let's let us you try out your own, go on your own journey, and we can reconnect at a later point in time should should your goals and your plans change. I'll also
3: add something I think Deepak, Alex, and I all have in common being at FOSSA for four years and earlier on at our time here. We had uh, an even smaller team and, uh, you know, I think a limit, very few folks uh, involved in even customer success. And so we had experience working with customers in a pre-POC period and also once they are customers, getting them rolled out and integrated and, you know, the priorities even during a POC period, you know, which is a lot of testing on technical fit and features and capabilities and even roadmap. Uh, items. Once you become a customer, the focus really shifts to okay, how do we install this thing? How do we enable our developers without interrupting them? How do we get X number of repos scanned in a certain amount of time? And so we hear and see you know, that entire process from pre to post POC. And I think it's informed a lot of how we engage with customers today which is, you know, Really trying to be partners, really be close, closely involved in the POC as we would uh, in a post-sales environment, and also try to help the customer see the big picture of what life is like after you do a POC and after you've chosen your solution and how you know what needs to happen, what will need to happen, you know, from day one, starting on implementation, and so. That's why we have a lot of conversations around planning and training and, uh, you know, time to value and thinking about how to roll out. Get them thinking about that early because it quickly becomes probably the most important thing for any tool and getting value out of it.
0: So what are some of the things that usually go well when transitioning from a POC to a full-blown rollout? And what are some of the things that don't go as well?
2: Interesting question. Well, I think one the thing is, you know, we try to do uh, as much due diligence uh, as possible early on in the POC process, right? So the the value assessment process that Alex mentioned, the the discovery process that Max was talking about, right? Making sure that it's it's not a one-way relationship where, like, you know, uh, the, the customers are looking, are, are determining whether we are a best fit for them or not. We are also making sure that, you know, are we in the right position to help them out, Right. And then and that's important. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, we, we understand what their goals are, what what is the problem they're trying to solve. And we, we educate them as much as possible, right? Obviously, in the POC process, you can't touch and test every nut and bolt, right? But we, at a very high level, we, we strive to make sure that, you know, we, we have an alignment in terms of, like, you know, we will be a good partner for them and we can basically genuinely meet their requirements. I think that's critical uh, between the pre-sales to post-sales end of it, and then in the post-sales process side, right, it's just again a a revalidation of of those goals. Like you know, this is what we heard, uh, and then basically it's, it's more about putting in more details uh, around those goals. What is the timeline? Who's going to be involved? Uh, and what does the the day-to-day process looks like? Uh, in- includes user training. Uh, we have a dedicated uh, for our enterprise customers, we do have a dedicated team that is basically uh, along with the account team that is taking care of these customers and ensuring that you know we are on track of these goals and achieving these milestones. So they have been a great partner for us, for our customers, and ensuring that. Alex, Max, I don't know if you have anything else to add.
1: Yeah, I think again it goes back to um, the planning. You know, rollouts do typically go pretty well when you're prepared um, and you kind of have. We even try to map out, even if it's not, even if it's tentative, prior to even contracting, we'll try to map out, you know, the first few months, we'll introduce the potential customer success team that will be working with them so that they can kind of get a feel for getting into the, onto the calendar and getting onto their team's calendars, you know, um, for kickoff calls and integration calls, et cetera. So yeah, just kind of preparing all of that in advance. I think when it where it, where we sometimes see it be kind of like a rocky start is if that those steps are skipped and then they're kind of like and they have in mind like I want to do this now, but then they still have to like, involve other teams to do it, and they get frustrated that like you know there are there are people involved and we all need to be able to to do the work and just plan for it. So the actual execution of the steps is pretty simple once you have the things lined up to do it. So I think they do traditionally find that. Obviously, there are differences in technical environments. Like we can't plan for everything. Our customers can't plan for everything. Sometimes you run into like a certificate that's needed that nobody thought about. But we do with every implementation, you know, keep track of that so that we're, we're always updating our process to make sure we're providing as accurate and comprehensive a list to to prepare them for every corner they need to see around. So, yeah, I think that that kind of follows what I've seen the most in terms of being on the pre-sales and the post-sales side when we had to be now we are super lucky to have a customer success team who we can depend on that's amazing and yeah, so I think they, they actually did a, a podcast recently with with you guys. And uh, go back and listen to their episode.
2: <laughs> 100% uh, they've been a great partner and I think uh, makes, I mean, not only our job, but our customers' job easy, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, right, it's it's not a one-day relationship. It's a journey that um, both of us need our vested stakeholders. And, and then they ensure they ensure that both the customers are also set up for success. So,
0: Are there any challenges that SCA tools as an industry have right now that customers should be aware of while they're searching for a solution? Anything that makes them have to put a little more thought into the vendor they select?
1: One thing I've kind of seen recently is a shift on the security side. So like security... Teams historically, at let's say large enterprises, were kind of, they were aligned or incentivized or their goals were mapped out around identifying as many security issues as they possibly could. And so, you know, when that trickles down to the people that are actually doing that work, to be the best and to perform the best in your role, right, you want to identify the most security issues and have kind of a full queue and then you work through that queue and that's you know great as a starting point but then in in practice what ends up happening is you become bombarded with so many security issues and you can never kind of get through all of those and so we've started to see a shift away from aligning the team around that to having the team to figuring out ways that the team can focus on the actual issues that only the security team like can really address and so that's that's kind of like this whole concept behind shift left is like what can we shift further left in the in the build process or in the software development lifecycle to enable the developers to address that early, remove it from their kind of take it off the plate of the security team later on. And so I think that's one thing that you know you have to think about when you are when you are developing out your stakeholders and you're trying to kind of get this. SCA ruling approved is, you know, what are the interests of the other teams that I'm working with? Like, are they going to feel like you're taking a job away from me to suddenly remove all those issues from the queue, right? But o- overall, it's what's best for the organization. If the security team can really focus on addressing issues that are that can only be attended to by security, and have the time and rather than the noise, you know, clouding that, and so I think it's it goes back to kind of like aligning around the overall initiative and the the way that those teams are motivated and like incentivized to a degree. And so it's kind of like a higher level question that we've just kind of seen come into play. And it's been really helpful uh, to have partners like I'm thinking of a particular OSPO that we work with where, you know, they had many different stakeholders. And one of the challenges that they faced at first was this sec- where the security partners kind of pushing back because that would take away their work. And then they brought in this new security lead that actually felt like that needed to be revamped. And um, now they're moving into a position where that team is even far is far more productive because they're able to focus on real issues.
3: Another thing, too, that I've seen is uh, many customers may have tried to build their own solution internally uh, to do this and maybe leverage different open source tools and scanners that are out there for free and piecemeal them together to create, you know, an open source process, scanning process themselves. And maybe it gets to a point or in fact, I know it does get to a point where all right the amount of open source we're using the amount of developers we have the frequency that we're you know bringing in new open source the scale so high at this point that okay now we need to you know look at what additional value a vendor a commercial vendor is able to add to us and then and, and streamline that process and so a lot of the conversation Turns into a build versus buy uh, value analysis, and you know how much time are we saving by going to a solution? How much more accurate is the results that we're getting uh, by moving to a solution? Can we consolidate, you know, effort and free up more time for engineers and legal folks and security folks to uh, dedicate to other areas of their jobs? Something that's, uh, in working at Fossa, you know, we, we work with a lot of open source program offices, and most of the cases, open source is just one aspect of a person's role. It's not usually their only role at a company. You know, if we work with an IP counsel, they may be in charge of open source license compliance, but they're also in charge of you know, maybe a bunch of other things uh, that occupy their time. And open source is just one aspect of that. Um, For security, maybe open source security is just one of the several vectors that they're focused on. And so a big focus for customers is, all right, how can we make this process easier? And so resources can be allocated to other areas of the business that these people are also focused on. And that's something that, I enjoy trying to help customers achieve in uh, in what we do.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think to add to Max and uh, Alex's point, right, I think uh, we're also seeing a shift where, like, you know, traditionally this being a siloed activity or this being like, okay, this is one of my many responsibilities that I need to do. Like, we're seeing a, a rise in the term, like, OSPO, right, like, most of the, Major companies already have an open source program office in place, uh, but we, we expect uh, more and more companies to basically implement this. But beyond that, right, like just managing compliance, managing volunteer as a siloed activity, uh, we are seeing a, a, a push, a trend where you know companies want to basically uh, take a holistic view at it. Right, open source is a critical component of my software supply chain. Having a global visibility across my entire org in terms of what open source am I using, what are the risks am I exposed to, both from a license point of view, from a security point of view, and how do we basically provide guidelines, provide uh, like you know, uh, take uh, control over like you know what to resolve, when to resolve, how to resolve things along that line, right? Uh, what additional info? Uh, what additional parameters do we need to be aware of when it comes to these open source dependencies apart from? license issues, security issues. So very interesting uh, time to be in this space. I'm, I'm really excited. We have some some exciting stuff cooking in, like you know, some of our organizations that are just trying to have a holistic view on, on how to basically, like A, either build a, a, a best-in-class uh, open source program office, or just in general, if you want to basically have a, a better process or just uh, have a holistic view on how to manage your open source and its risk come talk to us. I think we'll be excited to to show you uh, what we are cooking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Max highlighted at the end there, a customer can always roll their own solution, but when you're searching for an SEA vendor, you're really buying into the expertise of their team and the fact that we're all dealing with open source every day. We live, breathe, and eat open source technology. So you really are looking for people who can guide you through this process. I think that's all we have. Is there any final points you guys want to give to people who are interested in open source license compliance or open source management and just trying to explore the space?
1: I'll say I attended a PLI event, um, the Practicing Law Institute, back in, I think, September or October here in San Francisco, and the lawyer that was presenting, her point was if you do not have a process in place for this today drop everything you, you have going on and go home and mat, like write down the people that you need to talk to in your organization to start working on thinking through the process you don't have to go out and buy a tool today but you need to think through what your process will be because this is the type of um, license compliance it was the context that she was talking about but that i think applies to the software build materials the broader you know uh, license compliance and security management piece, but when you need it, you need it so fast that you don't have the time to do it. So go home and figure that out. Whether you want to work with FASA or any other vendor, it's irrelevant to us. But make sure that you like have a plan. That's my advice. Well, fantastic!
0: It was great getting to talk with you guys and get a little more insight into how you guys view the industry. If you guys liked what you've heard so far, feel free to check out our website, fossa.com. Reach out to us, ask us some questions. We'd love to talk to you guys and hear more about the problems you're facing. So we'll see you guys next time.